Hello everyone, my name, welcome to the Refugee Housing Inequality. My name is Tommy Taiwo and I'll be your host. A little bit about me, I'm 17 and a senior at Taylor Autodice. I am also a Nigerian immigrant. When my family first moved to the US in 2014, one of the issues that we faced was housing situation. We arrived in the fall of 2014 and we stayed at a close family house until December of 2014. We stayed at the house during fall and then winter for about four months. As we all know, Pittsburgh's winters are unpredictable, not fun, and well, very cold. When we were living in that house, it was so cold that we would wear multiple socks, clothing, jackets, and even coats to bed. And sometimes, it was so cold that the outside was warmer than the inside. Hard to imagine, right? School was an escape to me and my siblings. No, 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 no. Not because it was educational or fun, or fun but because it was warm. With the help of an organization called Ajapo, we were able to move into an apartment that was, well, warm. The first memories of living in that house was just me losing multiple layers of clothing and going to bed in a PJ or even like a shirt and a pants. You know, it was that warm that I only need one layer of clothing. This experience always stuck with me and I was very interested in learning more about the resources provided and available to the refugee and immigrant community. I joined different organize, community organizations from which I learned about the housing inequality. I realized that for many refugees, the budget that they get from the government is just not enough to sustain them. This many more intriguing housing for immigrants. But this year, I had the wonderful opportunity to be part of a research class by Dr. Waldeck at Taylor Autodice to research more on refugee housing. Before we get further into the podcast, here are some of the things that we will cover. One, the refugee housing issue. Two, why this research is important. Three, what can be done and a call to action. A little bit more on why I chose this research question, which you're going to later learn about. One, just like I said earlier, I've experienced what it's like to be in a home that is not a home. And two, I chose this question because home is such an important structure and aspect to everyone and an effect how you perform daily. A person who has a happy home versus a person who has a problematic home has a different outlook on life. To put this into perspective of a refugee, imagine yourself as a person who just got resettled in a country that, you know, very little, if anything at all about. Now, after getting to that country, you were given teeny, teeny language knowledge, like, you know, how to introduce yourself and hello. And you're just thrown into work. But instead of working, you know, just enough, you know, maybe like, maybe like one shift a day, just working that enough, just to pay for your rent or groceries. You have to pick up a second or even a third shift or even a second job to make that extra money 
to find a new place because you're having issues with your current housing. It could be hard to imagine if you're not in that situation, but the situation does happen. This isn't an issue that affects every single refugee that made Pittsburgh their home, but it's an issue that happens and it's not talked about a lot. Now, but now for the research question that you've been waiting for, which is how would having an infrastructure built into the system for refugee help them assimilate better? But before we get to answering the research question, here's some background information on refugees. Who are refugees? If you don't know, refugees are a type of immigrant. According to the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee Agency, a refugee is someone who has been forced to flee his or her country because of persecution, war, or violence. A refugee has a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or a membership in a particular social group. Over the past decade, more than 4,500 refugees have made Pittsburgh their home. And over the past couple months that I've done my research on refugee housing here in Pittsburgh, I've interviewed two individuals from Jewish Family and Community Service, JFCS, and Accretion for Justice, Access, and Peace Outreach, AJAPO. Um, for those who live in Pittsburgh and who work with refugees, you might have learned that a resettlement agency called NAMS closed a while back after Trump, after uh, former President Trump limited the number of refugees that could come into the U.S. But on the current news, President Biden has increased that number to 60,000 refugees from the lower number, which was 15,000 refugees per year. Now, going back into the refugees process, how does a person become a refugee? This process begins when a person flees from their own. Once they've reached the nearest refugee camp, which is usually by UNHCR, which is the United Nations High Commission of Refugee Agency, they will start to question to really, to really make sure that you are a refugee. Once that is confirmed, they start a second screening to make sure that a person is safe to be resettled and safe as in they have no relation or relationship to anything or anyone dangerous. This screening can take up two years, but an average of about two years because they scream the refugees each year. Average of about two years, but there definitely be people who have been in refugee camp for seven, over seven years. Once they have been confirmed to be resettled in the U.S., once they have passed the screening, they can be resettled in the U.S., the UN, the UNHCR will contact the, the National Resettlement Agency and tell them the approximate number of refugees they'll be receiving. There are nine national resettlement agencies. Then the National Resettlement Agency will then get in contact with their sub-organization and inform their sub-organization that an estimate of refugees the sub-organizations will be receiving. Between the time National Resettlement Agency informed the sub organization or sub 
agency on how many on an estimate of refugees they'll be receiving to the refugees actually arriving in the US. The SAR resettlement agency just has from a couple of days to a month to pretty much get everything ready here for the refugees. And the main one is housing is a place that we still at. In the first six months they arrive, they have to learn the English language, get the social security number, get a job and start paying back the airfare that they flew to the US. With all that fast-paced work, the housing that the sub-agency lease for these refugees usually lasts for a year. Um, so not only are the refugees put in the country that they have limited knowledge about, but they were also very rushed. But when the refugees arrive in the US, you know, they thought they could finally have a home to rest and feel safe. Maybe they feel safe, but definitely not rest. Like, as I said earlier, they have to start paying back the airplane fees five to six minutes arriving in the U.S. And when they get to the U.S., the government only give them $1,700 to survive in the state. To get more into the details of the resettlement process. The resettlement agency gets at most a month time to find housing for the refugees and finding a quality and affordable housing can be difficult literally in every in any city that you live in. This can be difficult for many reasons. One, one of the issues that contribute to the inequality of the refugee housing is that the, the sub resettlement agency does not have enough time to find good and quality housing. As a review, you know, when the UNHCR contact the major resettlements in nine main national resettlements and and the nine main resettlements tells the sub uh, the sub agency there is about a couple days to a week's time and from the main from the main from the main agency tell, um, telling the sub organizations to the to the refugees arriving in the U.S., there is only a maximum, about a maximum of a month's time to find adequate housing and get everything ready. When you live in a Pittsburgh, like I said earlier, or any other city, finding affordable and quality housing can be difficult. What makes it finding that quality housing even more difficult? for resettlement agency is that they try to put refugee in an already existing immigrant community. So for example, they would want to put an incoming Somalia family or individual into an already existing Somali community. They do this so that the new refugees can have neighbors who understand English, the American culture, and can also help them assimilate better into the country. And also like a community to reach out to in times of need. I mean, since they pretty much don't have anybody, they have that community to help and they have that community support. The second reason is the low budget that resettlement agency receive. Incoming refugees get $1,700 per individual, as I said earlier, as a welcome gift from the U.S. government. In the welcome gift, they're supposed to get housing, get furniture, home necessities, and groceries. 
Settlement agencies don't really receive extra funding from the government to resettle refugees. Because of this, the low budget that the resettlement, re, resettlement agency, cyber resettlement agency receive, they find the best housing they could for that amount of money. And a good housing is just, you know, it's just housing that meet their basic requirement, which is it is up is it on the bus line, it is up for rent, which means obviously if it's up for rent, it meets the health. Um, they have criteria and requirement and already has an existing immigrant community. The fund is never enough since these new refugees can't get a job right away because of language barrier. Resettlement agency must fundraise money and receive donation for both money and household items. Another issues that stem from the inequality of refugee housing is, in, is incoming refugees do not have social security number, also known as SSN. Since incoming refugees are not in the U.S. at the time, the, the sub-resettlement agency are looking for housing, they do not have their social security number yet. It takes a while to get it while they arrive in the U.S. and since they have to settle in first. And real estate agents or, or some individual landlords, some real estate agents, some individual landlords refuse to give up their vacant homes for people who are not in the, in the country yet. This leads to agency just finding homes and houses that meet that basic requirement. The problem is with finding just any house that meet the basic requirement is that when the refugees have an issue with the house, like a bursted pipe or an issue with the window, it is very hard. It's sometimes very hard to get in contact with the landlord. When resettlement agency are in contract with an individual landlord or an agent, they let them know that, you know, having a refugee as a tenant is not the same as having an American-born tenant, you know, someone who has been in the U.S. for multiple years or someone who was actually born here because there will be language barriers and they might be late in rent for the first couple of months and things things like that. Through sentiment agency, just find any as good homes. Um, they might not be the same understanding between the landlord and the tenant as the housing that has the contract with the resettlement agency. Another issue that stems from the inequality of refugee housing is that landlord takes advantage of these refugees, like not repairing things that needs to be repaired or even increase the rent. I feel like this is an issue that actually happens in you know a lot of Pittsburgh apartments. Maybe not a lot, but some of them. For example, Lawrenceville has been the home to the Somali bounty refugees since the early 2000s. But according to an article called The Booming Lawrenceville has priced out some residents by public source. They interviewed Muya, who is a Somali bantu, and he was talking about the advantage that he had since he lived in Lawrenceville before the booming increase and rent and how the new refugees won't have the same opportunities as him. And he quote, mostly of the roughly 300 Somali Bantu refugees that called Lawrenceville home a decade ago 
hasn't been fortunate. It is believed that all are now gone from Lawrenceville, exiled to other neighborhood in large part of bothersome housing cost. According to the Post-Gazette, these refugees felt like they were being pushed out of their homes. This is not only the issue. A couple years ago, there was a sewage problem in Northville Heights, which was also an immigrant-populated community, and the landlord wouldn't fix the sewage until the city interfered. Another issue that I've is kind of backing up on one of the points that I've already made earlier is the money given to the refugees as a welcome gift is just not enough. And you know, resettlement agent, the sub resettlement agency usually tries to help the family to apply for affordable housing under Section 8. But this doesn't usually happen because it requires the refugees to be present, having an SSN. And also, section it could take years to be approved. Once they have arrived in the U.S., the cyber settlement agency helped them settle in. Either that is with filling out any or getting them any necessary document that they need. Within the first couple months that these refugees get into the U.S., they have to learn the language and get a job. The housing that the resettlement agency helped them find has a one-year lease and after that it is up to the refugee individual or family to either stay at the apartment or find themselves a new home. Now just actually just reflecting on everything that's been on the refugee process, shouldn't housing be the list of the concern, you know, after all that time that they left their home for things that they couldn't really control, things that wasn't their fault, being in uh, being a refugee camp for who knows how long, coming to the U.S., being thrown into work, trying to learn the language, all of those things, shouldn't a housing, you know, be the list of their problems. If they got a housing that starts causing them an issue or that they are not really satisfied with, this will add to their burden because they have to work, like I said earlier, overtime, get a second job just to get enough money to get a better apartment or a better place. This can have, you know, parents leads to having less and less involvement in their children's life. You know, so far we've been talking about how, you know, the effect in that, you know, they're, they're going to be burdened because now they have to take up extra job. They're not really having as much rest as they should since, you know, they probably finish one shift rest for like a couple hours, not enough that the body really needs and gets straight on to work. But now I'm going to really going to talk more how that would really affect, you know, the children for a family that has children. After everything that answering my research question, you know, which is how would having an infrastructure built into the system for refugees help them assimilate better? After everything that refugees have gone through, they deserve at least a good home so that they that would be the least of their worries. This leads to children not doing so great in the education system because for a child to be successful, they need a good home and bonding experience and supporting parents. If the home that the family is living in is having an issue, then they want multiple times when you get an extra shift to another job just to make end meet. And 
get a better housing. And this relates to less and less involvement in children's life. And with little guidance, with little guidance in a child's life, the child is not on the right path for success. Another reason why children should be raised in the easy access to public transportation, walkable, walkable distance, and even access to a public park, you know. For example, a couple of years, my um, my church was having an event near Northview Heights. And, you know, on our way driving there, we saw these three children who walk into the same park because, you know, they, they go to church. And, you know, like, oh, where are you guys going? Like, oh, yeah, we're going to the park, you know, for the same event that you guys are going on. And, you know, as we were driving, we tracked the distance from where we are to the park and distance was between seven to 10 minutes. But for the three children that were walking, it was going to take them a whopping 20 to 30 minutes to get to this park. And those children are like teenagers, like 18 or 17. I think the oldest was actually 13 at the time. And the, the two kids were younger. No parents would feel comfortable letting their kid walk 30 minutes just to get to a decent park and kids are kids they want to be at a park you know they want to play at the swings they want to meet up with their friends there you know some if you're lucky enough you go one of those parks that has really nice pools they want to play at the pools and sometimes with housing they might have a park but it's not a decent park that it doesn't have a lot of all the equipments that these children wants to play with if anyone out here is thinking, why should we even care about this issue since the U.S. is already get, is already helping them by giving them some money to settle or this is an issue that doesn't affect every refugee? I know that it's not an issue that affects every refugee, that affects the majority of the refugee population, but the issue exists. And if it's not talked about, it will go, it will go all announced. And if all the reasons why I gave the money isn't enough and how their home is not even good. Well, these are some of the benefits of having refugees resettled in the U.S. Why? I'm going to talk more about the benefits of having refugees and even the importance and why we should even care about the refugees. The first part is why should we even care about, you know, why should we, why is this research important and why should we care about refugees? This topic is important because it is not this this topic is not talked about a lot, you know. If I didn't have a first hand experience, then I wouldn't know about it. This topic needs to be talked about because it concerns a vulnerable population. The reason why we should care about refugees are one, they just want to feel at home. They've lost their home because of something that they have no control about, as I've said earlier. Two, their whole life has been a struggle because they left, probably left their other family members behind and they're always constant worries about, you know, the family that are left behind. They, re they expect you not to care. Four, they want to contribute to the community. They want to belong. They want to have a community. Five, they didn't choose to come to the U.S. Whenever they, whenever they were in the UNHCR camp, they decide where this refugee goes. And the United States is not, if you didn't know, United States is not the only resettlement country. But these people, these refugees don't decide where they want to go. 
it's decided by the UNHCR. They add to the beautiful stories, to the to the beauty of the American story, because America is a melting pot and the mosaic of different ethnicity, different background, and different stories. We are all human, and the last reason we should care and why this is important is we are all humans and we should take care of each other. Now, the importance of refugees. One, they create jobs. Two, they create billions of dollars to the U.S. economy. According to the immigrant as economic contributor, refugees are physical fiscal success story for America. A 2018 study on refugee entrepreneurs alone generated whooping $4.6 billion to the U.S. economy. This amount does not include workers and students, even though the U.S. does spend a lot of money in refugees resettlements. Some of those monies needs to be paid back like the like the transportation fee. And mind you, why are you thinking about these numbers? These are the number despite the setbacks that refugees faced, you know, because of language barrier, they might not get as well paying job as as others. And the last and the third reasons is there's multiple ones, but it's the three that I choose. They make the US more diverse. Like I've said earlier, you know, they add to the beauty of the American story. You know, America is a melting pot and the mosaic of different ethnicity. So they add to that melting pot, they add to that mosaic of different ethnicity. Now, the most exciting part, the most exciting part and what you can do, you know. When I first, actually, when I first started my my research, I wanted to research more on the policies that was for refugee resettlement here in Pittsburgh, like in local policies. And to my surprise, there was actually none. There was there was no policies um, that was to help refugees resettle here in Pittsburgh. There is the welcome in Pittsburgh, but it's not really a policy. It's more like an initiative by the 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 mayor's office that are working working more to make Pittsburgh more welcoming. But there is no policies that helps refugees resettle. Um, keep an eye for future. You know, always keep an open eyes and open ears for any policies that people want to make happen that will support infrastructures for refugees. Uh, get in contact with the two refugees agency that are still present in Pittsburgh, which are JAPO and GFCS, to donate things that that you have, like they might need, like maybe like housing supplies that they might need that you have, but also to donate money. And the last thing you can also do is to write to your legislator. Um, so I have three people here these are the people you can write to to increase the funding for Allegheny County or Pittsburgh to build infrastructure for the refugee community. One, for the House of Representatives, you can write to Representative Sarah, Sarah Imorado. Uh, if you go on ledges dot com you're gonna you know have access to all this legislator and your contact number and for and for a representative on the Senate on the Senate you have David G. Argel 
and Wayne and Representative Wayne D. Fontana. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining me today and have an amazing blessed day.